Hi, I'm Lane Easterling. I serve as one of the elders here at Center Point Fellowship Church. And how I met Jesus was uh, through my wife when we got married. Hi, I'm Craig Clement. I'm the elder here at Center Point. And I met Jesus at a youth conference when I was a teenager. Hi, I'm Tom Bernard. I'm an elder of the church. And I met Jesus when I was 22 years old uh, in a restaurant with a Sunday school leader. Hey, my name is Chris Myers. I'm one of the elders here at Center Point. Uh, I met Christ when I was eight years old at a small church in Panama City, Florida. We could line up dozens of people who would tell you how they met Jesus. And we wanted you to hear from some of our elders last week, from some of our staff. Each uh, time before we begin one of the messages in this series of how I met Jesus, we'd like you to know a little bit of the background of some of the people who attend here. And some of you have some amazing stories. Some of you might have been led to the Lord or you first heard about Jesus at a revival uh, at a church somewhere. Or some of you might have been on a picnic or some of you might have just bumped into somebody out of the clear blue. But God reached out to you and you said, hey, I, I need to get right with him. I need to know him. Well, today you're going to get to hear how a few of the people in the Bible heard about Jesus, namely the people who raised Jesus, Mary and Joseph. And so inside your bulletin today, you'll find an outline just like this one. It's entitled Mary and Joseph. And we're going to find out how they heard about Jesus. Now, it's important before we begin also, oh, and by the way, if you need a pen to fill in the blanks, just raise your hand. One of our ushers will be glad to come and uh, bring you a pen to fill out the blanks and to take some notes. But it's important for us to understand the first point on your outline that Jesus came to rescue us from sin and death. If you don't understand anything else about the Christmas story, you have to understand that the Christmas story is a rescue story. John 3.16, Jesus himself explained it this way, For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God loves us and doesn't want us to perish, and Jesus came to rescue us from sin and death. And so that's why every year at this time we recount the story of how he came into the world. And it's important for us to understand how people like Joseph and Mary engaged that news and how they responded to it. Because God's going to work in our lives and call us to respond to the things that he wants us to do for him as well. Let me have a word of prayer for us and we'll jump right in. Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity to study your word. I thank you for men like Matthew and Luke who recorded your words to guide us in all matters of faith and practice. Lord, we thank you for the good news that Jesus came into the world to rescue us from sin and death. And this morning, Lord, we want to learn a little bit more about you as we look at the Christmas story. We're a few weeks away from Christmas. And Heavenly Father, we need uh, your guidance so that we don't miss it. And we don't miss what you're trying to say to us. So Lord, I pray that you speak, you move me out of the way, and teach us some things from the lives of Mary and Joseph when they first heard about you. In the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. Well, point two on your outline. Let's start ladies first. Let's uh, understand how Mary heard about Jesus. How Mary heard about Jesus. In the sixth month, this is from Luke 1, starting with verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. Now, if you weren't here with us last week uh, to explain who Elizabeth was... Elizabeth was a relative of Mary's. Mary was the one who gave birth to Jesus, and she had a relative named Elizabeth who was an elderly woman, but she was having a baby. And when we're jumping into the story today, she's already six months along. You can go online and listen to last week's message and get this in full, but to summarize, Elizabeth, an elderly woman, 
found out she was going to be expecting a baby late in life from her husband. Her husband was a priest by the name of Zechariah. He was also up in years, and he was serving in the temple one day, putting some incense on the altar at the temple in Jerusalem when an angel of the Lord appeared to him, the angel Gabriel, and said, Zechariah, you and your wife Elizabeth are going to have a baby. And they were old. They might have been their, think, 70s or 80s, something like this. And they had prayed for a child for many years, but they'd given up on this. And now was the time. And this wasn't just going to be any child. The child that was going to be born to them would be a forerunner, a precursor, somebody who would be a prophet who would announce the Messiah was coming. And the angel even told them what to name him. They named him John. He grew up to be John the Baptist. And he prepared the way for Jesus as he began his ministry. And so... When we're jumping in the story today, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, this is an unusual pregnancy. By the way, Zechariah didn't believe the angel when the angel told him because it seemed outlandish that he and his wife could have a baby when they were so up in years. And, the, and he said, well, how do I know this will be true? And the angel told him, look, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God himself. If I say it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Now, you're not going to be able to say anything until the baby's born. So here was an elderly woman, six months along, and a husband who couldn't say anything. And some women are saying, well, that sounds like a good deal. Anyway, we'll move on. In the six months of this pregnancy, God sent Gabriel, second mission here in six months, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to a man named Joseph, engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Now Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God, and you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. By the way, the name Jesus is a Greek version of the Hebrew name Yeshua or Joshua, and it means the Lord saves. That's what Jesus' name means, the Lord saves. That's wonderful. And so he will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the baby to be born will be holy. And if you'd circle that word, holy. And he will be called the the Son of God. Now, there's an important, we need to stop here for a minute and make a note here. It matters that Mary was a virgin. The angel said, hey, you're going to give birth to a son. And and we need to understand in those days that marriages were arranged marriages. And Mary might have been very young. She could have been as young as 13 or 14 years old. And her family would have been saving up for a dowry to enable her to be married to Joseph. And it was very important, according to Jewish custom and religious beliefs, that a A woman remained pure until her wedding day. And so for her to become pregnant during this time would be scandalous. And this would be something unheard of. And Mary said, well, how can I possibly have a baby? I'm a virgin. And the angel said to her, no, it's precisely because of this that I'm making this announcement to you. Because the child born to you will be holy. And the word holy means set apart. means pure. Now, this is very important that we understand why this was necessary. In Romans 5, verse 12, the Apostle Paul wrote, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, and so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. 
Adam and Eve were originally, the first two people were originally created sinless. Sin entered the world when they chose to disobey God. God had commanded them not to eat the fruit of a tree in the center of the Garden of Eden, a certain tree. But when tempted by the devil, they ate of it anyway. And they disobeyed God. And as a result, all of their children and their children's children and for generations up till now, all of us have inherited, inherited a nature that is sinful. And we discover this when we have children of our own. You have a beautiful baby you welcome into the world and a sweet, innocent child, and then one day they turn two. <laughs> and all of a sudden you go, oh, there is such a thing as the terrible twos. And as they advance along in years more, they become teenagers, and then you are really convinced of a sin nature, okay, in your children. But we don't, have to be, we don't have to look very far. I mean, we all know that we inherit sin. David meditated upon this in Psalm 51. He said, For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. We're sinners. We don't have to teach our kids to cheat on tests. We have to have honor codes and make them pledge not to. I've never seen a parent yet with multiple children going, hey, y'all are playing too well. Here's how you fight. Okay, let me show you how to hit each other. You don't, have to, you don't have to teach kids how to fight. You have to teach them how to stop. Our whole legal system is built around the whole notion that people will cheat and they will steal. If you don't sign them to a contract, they won't be honest. Well, why is that necessary? Not just here, but all around the world. Because... We're descendants of Adam and Eve, and we've inherited a sin nature. And as soon as we're old enough to choose, the fact that our nature is bent, bent toward ourselves and pride and sin, well, the sooner we understand how necessary it is that we need a Savior. And that's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so we could be made right with God through Christ. As soon as God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, it became clear to the people of Israel they couldn't keep the Ten Commandments. In fact, the more clearly we knew what God expected of us, the more clear it became that we all had a bent nature that was determined not to do this on any given commandment at any given time. And so God allowed the Hebrews to set, he set up a sacrificial system for them where because of sin, the punishment was death. They could take the pride of their herd, the best of their animals, the best of their cattle, or their sheep, and they could sacrifice that animal. And as the animal's blood was shed, it would, be, it would atone for their sins, pay the debt. And so year after year, sacrifices were made because an animal wasn't a one-to-one sacrifice for people. And God allowed the animal to be sacrificed, but every year it had to be repeated. And the people of Israel longed for a day when God would send a permanent sacrifice that would settle the score, clean the slate once and for all. The problem is that would require a sinless human being, one of us who had no sin, to die in place of all of us who do sin. And where would you find such a person? Because again, we inherited it. We inherit a sin nature. So even if I want to die for my wife and for my kids, I can't because I'm a sinner just like they are. And even if you want to die for me, you can't because you're a sinner just like I am. And so are my kids. And so are your parents and grandparents 
all the way back to Adam and Eve. So what are you going to do? Well, what if a child was placed by God himself in the womb of Mary? So even though he was born into this world, he didn't inherit a sin nature like the rest of us. And what if that child grew up and was tempted in every way that we are, but never sinned? What if that could happen? Well, that's what did happen. And that's who Jesus is. The sinless son of God who came into the world. And the angel announced to this young girl, Mary, you are the one whom God has chosen to be his mother. Now think about that. It's an amazing miracle. And Mary was pondering this and the angel, I had interrupted the angel here. The angel had a little bit more to say. He went on in Luke 1, verses 36 and 37. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she's now in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. And Mary, in case you're wondering if God can do this, if he can place a baby inside your womb, just remember your relative Elizabeth. Someone in her 70s is now having a baby. And people used to say she wouldn't have a baby. And Mary would have gone, well, that's right. And now look at her. And that brings us to a life application for you and me. Nothing is impossible with God. Would you repeat that with me, please? Nothing is impossible with God. One more time. Nothing is impossible with God. And we need to be reminded of this, especially at Christmas, because this is miraculous. An old woman's going to have a baby, and her husband can't even tell anybody about it because he doubted Gabriel. Which, by the way, don't, if an angel ever appears to you, don't, don't doubt them. Okay, that's a bad idea. But now, a baby's going to be given to this old woman, and the virgin is going to have a child. And if God can do those things, well, why do we doubt him? Jeremiah 32, 17. O sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Over and over again in the Bible, when God would do a, work a mighty miracle or deliver his people, the leaders of the people and the prophets would sing a song to God just like Jeremiah did there. Oh, sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. Nothing's too hard for you. And we need to remind ourselves of this every day, but especially during Christmas. It wasn't too hard for God to save the whole human race through sending his son. And so what problem could you and I face that's too hard for him? But you see, the problem isn't with God. The problem is with you and me. We don't believe. There was an incident that happened in Jesus' ministry. So we're kind of fast-forwarding here 30 years into the future. Jesus is entering a certain village with his disciples, a few of his disciples. Some of the rest of the disciples had been there already. And a man had brought his son uh, to the disciples and to Jesus because he wanted him healed. The son was possessed by a demon. And from time to time, the demon would grab this child and throw him into a seizure, into a fit on the ground. And he liked to do this whenever apparently the child was walking by a fire or a body of water so the child would be burned and possibly drown. And it terrified the father to no end. And so he brought his son, who was afflicted by this demon, to the disciples and said, can you help? And the disciples couldn't drive the demon out. And so when Jesus arrives on the scene, there are people gathered around. There's a father with his son. And Jesus is going, what's going on here? And the man says, well, I brought my son to your disciples, and they couldn't cast out the demon. And then he turns to Jesus, and he says this. It's in your bulletin. 
have mercy on us and help us if you can. And listen to Jesus' response here. What do you mean, if I can, Jesus asked. I mean, this goes back to the angel appearing to Zechariah, telling him, hey, God heard your prayer. You and your wife are going to have a baby. But Zechariah had given up decades before this. How do I know this will be true? Well, what do you mean? How do you know it'll be true? God said it. It's true. And when Jesus walked upon the scene, hey, help us if you can. If I can. We are talking to the creator God of the universe here. Jesus was God in the flesh. What do you mean if I can? And the little boy's father realized, boy, he'd really messed that up. Jesus said anything is possible if a person believes. And the father instantly cried out, oh, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And if you underline that, that's what you and I need to cry out this Christmas time. We do not worship a God who is powerless, who is limited by our imaginations, by our understanding of things. We worship the creator God of the universe, and there is nothing too hard for him. But you know what we need to pray? Lord, help us with our unbelief. We lose a job, and we say, God, I'll never find a job. Well, it's not too hard for God. We battle an illness and we say, I'll never be cured of this illness. God can do anything. We see a marriage that's in trouble. Oh, it'll never be reconciled. Really? Have you sought the Lord's help yet before you've given up? And all too often, we just want to throw in the towel, give up. It's impossible. The little boy's father got it right. I do believe, but Lord, help me in my unbelief. I don't know what you're facing this Christmas season. Maybe you're facing a very difficult task or a broken relationship. Or you just found out your job is going to be eliminated in 2013. Whatever the situation may be, though, give it to the Lord and say, God, will you help me? Because you can do things that are impossible for me. And I really want to encourage you that this is not the time of year to give up on promises and to give up on the Lord. If there's any time of year when the scripture makes it clear that God can do impossible things, it's a Christmas time. And let's not forget it. So Mary heard about Jesus through an angel who said God was going to do something impossible through her. Well, how about Joseph? Well, that's point three in your outline. This is how... Joseph heard about Jesus. We've been reading out of Luke's gospel. Now we're going to get a little bit from Matthew, from his perspective, from Joseph's side of things. It's from Matthew 1. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. We just read about that. Now Joseph... Her fiancé was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Which means that Mary came to Joseph and said, Joseph, I'm pregnant. He goes, oh, Mary, who's the father? And she said, God. And he said, let's put you away quietly. Okay, (laughs) Because, Mary, it's bad enough that you've apparently had an affair, but now you're going to blame this on God? Oh, Mary... As you flip your outline over, I mean, that's the way we would have responded to. Matthew's gospel continues. As Joseph considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, 
For the child within her was, was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. The Lord saves, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this occurred to fulfill what the Lord's message, to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. This is the prophet Isaiah. 650, 700 years earlier, this had been written down. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God himself came down to earth and put skin on. And this little baby would be the savior of the world. Just like us in every way, except he never sinned. And so when it came time for him to die on the cross, he would be the perfect sacrifice that would pay the penalty for your sins and for mine forever. And the angel said, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. This is God's doing. It's okay. Now, there's a note that I want to, in your outline here, that I want to bring out. I mentioned this a little bit last week, but I want to amplify it this week. And that's this, that God delights, he delights in using ordinary people to carry out his plans. I mean, the angel Gabriel appeared, first of all, to a priest in the temple. And you go, okay, well, I kind of understand that. Well, the second person that Gabriel appeared to was a young girl in Nazareth. I mean, we're talking slap out, okay? We're talking not a major metropolitan area to a young girl who was just in her teens. And she is betrothed. She's engaged to a guy who isn't a PhD. He isn't a religious expert. He isn't the head of Focus on the Family or some great child-rearing organization. He's just an ordinary guy. In fact, he's so ordinary that when Jesus began his ministry, that was one of the knocks against Jesus, is that Joseph was his dad, and his dad wasn't anything special. Uh, This is from Matthew 13. You'll see this. When Jesus went back after he'd been preaching and teaching about God's will and doing miracles in other cities, he came back to his hometown of Nazareth, where the angel had originally appeared to Mary and where Jesus grew up. And here's what happened. Jesus returned to Nazareth, his hometown. And when he taught there in the synagogue, they scoffed, Ah, he's just the carpenter's son. And we know Mary, his mother, his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, all his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn all these things? And they were deeply offended and they refused to believe in him. Because Joseph was just an ordinary guy. I mean, this is Joseph's kid. Joseph took his lunch to work in a lunchbox. This guy's the son of God? I don't think so. Uh. Now think about this. God sent his son into the world, and he didn't choose a king or a renowned healer or medical worker or anything like this. He chose an ordinary guy betrothed to a young girl. And that's the way I want to make this happen. Paul wrote about this in 1 Corinthians 1. He said, remember, dear brothers and sisters, a few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God deliberately chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose those who are powerless to shame those who are powerful. And God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important so that no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God delights in using ordinary people. Some of you, God's going to call you to be a connect group leader. And you go, oh, I can't. I, I've never been to seminary. I don't know enough about the Bible. Joseph and Mary did. 
These were experts in anything? I don't think so. God delights in using ordinary people. Takes great pleasure in it. In fact, Mary, after the angel had left her, she sang a song. This are a few, these are a few verses from Luke 1 that we haven't gotten to yet. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. That's how she viewed herself. And from now on, all, generation, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. Notice she did not say, and I've done great things for him, and it's about time he noticed. He said, no, I'm a lowly servant girl, and he's done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He scattered the proud and the haughty ones, and he's brought down the princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, and he sent the rich away with empty hands. Because God delights in using ordinary people. A few years ago, I got to share a plane ride. Uh, I met a guy on an airplane that I hadn't seen since my freshman year in college. And it was before I had surrendered my life to the Lord, and we had been drinking buddies. And so we ran each, into each other on this airplane, and he sat down next to me, and we started talking, and he said, told me what he was doing with his life. He said, what are you doing now? And I said, well, I'm a pastor of a church. And he patted me on the back. He said, that is a good one. I love that. <laughs> right. What do you really do? I, uh, that's what I really do. And he goes, wait a minute. You're telling me God's going to use you to be the pastor of a church? Yeah. Wow. Do you know that God uses all kinds of ordinary people to do his will? God's going to call some of you this next year to reach out to a neighbor or a relative, to share the gospel with them, or to reach out to them and be kind to them when nobody else will. And some of you are going to feel completely inept, completely unworthy. And God's going to use you precisely, precisely because of that, because he delights in using ordinary people, so he gets all the glory. All the glory. But in order for that to happen, we have to make sure that we're worried about him getting the glory and not us. And that brings us to the next life application. God wants us to trust and obey him, not worry about the approval of others. Not worry about the approval of others. I mean, this is what stops us in our tracks a lot of times. Well, Lord, I'd love to obey you, but what are my neighbors going to think? Lord, I'd love to obey you, but what, is, what are my friends going to think? What about my kids? What about my wife? I mean, I'm nobody, Lord. Send somebody else. Paul said this in Galatians 1, Am I now trying to win the approval of the men or of God? If I were still trying to please men, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. Let me tell you this. If you want to serve God, if, I mean, if you want to win the approval of people, then don't do it by professing your faith in Christ because to profess your faith in Christ means to profess that I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. When we baptize people, we place them in the water and dip them down beneath the water precisely to show that we all need to be washed and have our sins washed away. So to come to Christ means I've messed up big time. I'm a sinner and I need a savior to forgive me and wash me clean. So how on earth can I go around presenting anything to you that I'm a big shot when I just admitted that I'm a sinner I need saving just like you do? Well, I can't. And so the apostle Paul said, hey, look, if I was trying to please people, I wouldn't go around telling people about Jesus because to tell people about Jesus says I need a savior, which means I don't amount to much. On the other hand, 
If I want to tell people good news, I'm going to tell them all about Jesus. And when they say, well, who made you the announcer of this? I'm going to say Jesus, because he's the one who saved me, and that means it's good news for you too. And God loves to use ordinary people just like us, because then people go, well, my goodness, if he can save John Schmidt, then he can probably save me too, because he doesn't amount to much. And they're right. But Jesus amounts to everything. But what's so great is, why did God choose Mary and Joseph? Because they were just willing and available. After the angel finished announcing to her what was going to happen, here's how Mary responded. I'm the Lord's servant. I'm willing to accept whatever he wants. When the angel appeared to Joseph in the dream and said it was all true, here's what happened next. When Joseph woke up, he did just as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took Mary as his wife. No hesitation. In those days... That probably meant their friends wouldn't talk to him anymore. They may have been excommunicated from their synagogue. Their families may have kicked him out. We don't know. Even when Jesus began his ministry, there were many who believed in him, but they weren't willing to take the step of faith necessary and to admit it publicly because they were so worried about what people thought about them. John 12. Many people did believe in Jesus, including some of the Jewish leaders. But they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than they loved the praise of God. And if you could underline that last sentence. What do I love more than anything else? Do I love the praise of God or do I love the praise of people? And Paul says, look, if you're going to be after the praise of people, you better make a choice. Because to come to Jesus means to admit over and over again, Lord, I need you. Because he's going to sharpen us and constantly convince us of things that need to change. The good news is, people like Joseph and Mary, they were just willing and obedient no matter what the cost. I want you to understand how, how impacting this could be to them and to their social life by watching a video on the screens. It's called a Social Network Christmas. And if you're familiar with Facebook, this will really be meaningful to you. Please watch the screens. Until the Son of God appears. <laughs> 